God, today we lay beside our agendas. We lay down our lives and we surrender these moments to you. We pray we step out of your way, that we get out of our heads. And as the one who prayed this morning said, let us set our gaze, our focus on you. This time is yours and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name. God invade this place. In Jesus' name. Today we have a story of someone who was in a desperate situation in dire need of God to step in. And that's exactly what he did. Today, hear this praise report of what God done in this person's life. On May 14th at 5 a.m., I got a phone call that my sister was being taken to the hospital by ambulance because she could not breathe. She has advanced COPD. She was admitted to the hospital and put on oxygen, a CPAP machine, and then on the ventilator because she just continued to get worse. She was only lightly sedated so she could still communicate with us. She weakened to the point she couldn't speak, she couldn't lift her cup or even write notes to us. The doctors would come in every morning, take her off the ventilator to do breathing trials. They were testing to see if she could breathe on her own, but she could not. We watched her literally almost die twice. After watching her suffer, her family asked the doctors to stop the breathing trials. He explained that if he didn't do any more trials, she would be taken off the ventilator and transitioned to comfort care. He woke her up and explained everything to her. She agreed. She had fought all she could fight and was ready to go to heaven. I stood in the hallway with the doctor as they were preparing to take her off the ventilator. He said, I do not expect her to last very long at all once we take her off. She was taken off of the ventilator and we sat around her bedside preparing ourselves to watch her die. After a, for, after a short time, she sat up in bed. As time went on, she started looking better. I thought it was like the stories I had heard about people getting better right before they die. But instead, she just kept getting better. I finally realized that it was real and we were watching God do an absolute miracle. He was literally bringing her from death to life. Yes, Lord, we give you praise, Jesus, for your wonder-working power, Lord. It says, she went home the next day on oxygen with a walker. In just a short time, she was no longer using the walker. My sister had been a heavy smoker for most of her life, and I've watched her try to quit but never been successful. As I write this, she has not smoked for four months, two weeks, and one day. And that is another miracle on top of from death to life, Lord. Yes, Jesus, we give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah to your name, Lord. You are still a miracle working God, and we give you praise, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your work. Does anyone in this room need a miracle today? Would you just lift your hand? You need healing today? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We come before you today full of faith that you are powerful, 
that you can do, what on, that you are the only one that can move and heal the way that you do. And today we ask God, those who raise their hand in this place, that they would take their eyes off the mountain and instead look at the one who can cast the mountain into the sea in faith and believe that you can heal them, that you love them, and that, they, that your will is perfect in Jesus' name. I pray faith be built today in Jesus' name. If you have a story like this, or a story of praise to God. We need to hear it. These people need to hear it. So we pray that you would submit them. You can do that a few ways. You have a praise report card in the back of your seat. You can give your uh, testimony on our praise request app. You just put praise report and we'll see it instead of a prayer request. You can put it in the same place, but we'll see it and we will share it. If not, that way you can send it to us on Facebook via Messenger. I also want to remind you as you leave today, you can continue to praise God through the giving of your tithes and offering in our, pray, in our tithe boxes, or you can give online. Let's declare the word of the Lord this morning over this place through our declaration. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. I'm gonna ask you, would you just lift your hands in this place right now in this moment? We surrender this time going forward in this service to you, God. We're about to sing more to you, God. We're going to look to you and we prepare our hearts for the word that you placed in our pastor this morning, Lord Jesus. Give him liberty and power and anointing to deliver it. In Jesus' name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen.
Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. You know what? God's love is truly in this place today because God is love. Why don't you look at somebody this morning and tell them you love them? I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. Praise the name of the Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, 2 Samuel Chapter 9, verses 3 through 7 is what I'll be reading this morning. And it says, And the king said, Is there not yet any in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto them? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan had yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, and Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered him, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and restore thee of all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Brother Mike Burton, would you pray today, please? Amen. At this point in this chapter, David has finally became king of Israel after being anointed by Saul to be king some 15 years prior. And I want to talk to you today about Lodabar. It's not a place for a child of God to reside in. And many are living beneath their privileges by living in Lodabar. When God has called each and every believer to callings and places and destiny, and so many times we find ourselves in places God never designed for us. So many times we find ourselves in places that don't add up in our lives. And there's nothing more frustrating than knowing God has called you and ordained you for something more. Yet you don't see it actualized. You don't see it on the horizon. 
You have an inner calling, but your outer situation doesn't bear witness of that inner calling. When your present situations add up to your potential calling God, you're on the wrong path. And you have felt the tension of I'm here when I should be there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The tension between the already and not yet versus the then and there. And my assignment today is to encourage you there is still a then and there for you. And to make some of you aware that perhaps you're in the wrong place. Now in chapter 9 of Samuel, we just read, the Bible says that David's sitting on his throne. He's been recently coronated king over both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. All of a sudden, something comes to his remembrance. Now note this. As I'm portraying how David performs as a king, today I'm also portraying Christ as the king of kings. There's a lot of symbolism in this story. Not sure what provoked his thought other than he remembers a covenant that he made years and years ago. And the covenant was made with his best friend Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. David came into the position of the king because of the favor of God on his life. But he didn't know how to operate in the palace. After all, he'd only known what it was like to live on the backside of the desert. But this is where Jonathan fit in. How many of you know God puts people in your life strategically to help you? To staff your weaknesses, those timely acquaintances, those lifelong relationships. Like when God called Moses. Moses felt he wasn't adequate enough. He had a stuttering problem. He voiced his weaknesses to God, and so God gave him air in his life. He said, he'll speak for you. It was Jonathan that kind of took David under his wing when they were both friends at a very young age. Jonathan knew the protocol for living in a palace. After all, he was raised in it by his father, King Saul. Yet, ironically, Jonathan's father, Saul, hated David, sought to even kill him at one point. But Jonathan loved David, and David loved Jonathan. So Jonathan made a covenant with David to watch over him. And David made a covenant with Jonathan to watch over him. And the covenant extended down to their children, that the sons and the daughters of Jonathan would take, be like sons and daughters of David. And the sons and daughters of David be like the sons and daughters of Jonathan. Now, at this point in time, though, when David becomes king, Jonathan's now dead. But because of the covenant, David wants to remain faithful to his promise to him. Can I tell you, covenants are to be eternal in nature. Even when you're dead, the covenants and the covenant God made you are everlasting. So David's sitting on the throne recalling this covenant with Jonathan. The covenant with a man now dead, but the covenant still lives on. Understanding the importance of the covenant, David seeks to fulfill the covenant. So in verse 3, David asks the question, Is there anyone left in the household of Saul to whom I might show the kindness of God? That word kindness is very important in text. It's a Hebrew word for hased, which is found throughout the Old Testament because it's a word that speaks of God's faithfulness, a word that speaks of covenant. What's interesting, when the translators of the Bible were translating into English in the 1600s, in the King James Version, they came to this word, I said. Through the course of trying to translate it, they used 45 English words to try to translate one Hebrew word because they're trying to get the most significant meaning of this word, such as loving kindness, tender mercy, goodness and love, waiting, wanting the word to mean all these things. The word is a word of covenant, meaning covenant faithfulness, covenant mercy, covenant love. The kind of love and faithfulness God showed Israel. That even when Israel strayed away and went after idols, God was still faithful to them because of the covenant he made with Israel. Covenant love is not a fleeting love or a fleeting emotion, but one of commitment to be faithful and loving no matter what. 
The next thing I noticed, though, is David didn't say, I'm going to show the covenant kindness of David. He said, I'm going to show the covenant kindness of God. David made a covenant years ago, and now he says, I want to know, is there somebody from the household of Saul that showed my faithfulness to the covenant I made with Jonathan so that my people will see that their king is a faithful king? David is saying, I'm going to make myself an object lesson of the covenant faithfulness of God. I love it when leaders show me and just don't tell me they lead by example. But for David to do this, he needs a person who fits the perimeter of the covenant that he made. So he asked the question, is there anybody left in the household of Saul? Well, there came a reply from a man named Ziba, who was a servant of the household of Saul, who speaks up. He says, King, now that you mention it, there is someone who comes to my remembrance. There is still a son of Jonathan that remains, and he's laying lame on his feet. A powerful thought I had here is, Ziba remembers his shame, but he doesn't remember his name. Notice he didn't even call his name yet. He is saying, I don't call his name, but I do remember he was lame. There are some people who will never remember you for anything else but your shame, except your past, your failures, your shortcomings. Remember you for your fall. And it don't matter what God does for you or how he restores you or anoints you, in their eyes, you'll always be the person who used to. Isn't that the girl that, or isn't that the guy that, you remember, don't you? He's the one who used to. She's the one that caught, caught with Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You can be on stage singing Amazing Grace with the Gaithers, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you'll still be labeled as those who used to. By those who remember you by your past, your wounds, and your afflictions. And there are things we go through in life, and I'm not talking about paper cuts and stumping our toe. There are some things we go through in life that are so traumatic, so painful, so altering, that for the rest of our life, that we're always remembered as the girl who or as the guy who. And when they talk about us, it's always attached to our identity, of our past, our, of our shame, or our fall. Come on, somebody, help me preach this morning. Anybody in here besides me got a past or some, some issues? Let's be honest. Folks, his name was Methibosheth. His story came about when he was five years old. He was, his father was Jonathan the prince of Israel. His grandfather was Saul, the king of Israel. There was a day when the arch enemies of Israel attacked their nation, and King Saul and his three sons mounted up, and they rode out into the battle to fight against the Philistine. While doing so, back home in the palace, waited men, women, and children worried about the outcome of this battle. They knew if the Philistines won this battle, their city would come under siege if they failed to defeat the Philistines. And they waited nervously for word to come. And finally, a runner comes running to the city, gasping for breath. And he brings news, but it's not good news. He reported the armies have been slaughtered and defeated. He's, they say, and worse than that, the king of Israel has been slain and his three sons as well. Upon receiving this news, panic breaks out. Fear grips their heart. They knew it was just a matter of time before the Philistines would reach the city and laid hold to it and kill everyone. So in all the chaos... A woman nursing Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, picks him up in an effort to protect him, and she begins to run with him out of the city, panicking and fearful. Then suddenly she trips and she falls. The Bible says that when she drops the boy, and when she does, his feet are crushed under him. They became utterly broken, causing him to become lame due to this fall. And for the rest of his life, 
His feet will be crippled because of his fall when he was just a child. And I cannot tell you how many people I have met who are just like Mephibosheth, who are still crippled today from falls that have taken place years ago. And I'm not talking about just physical issues. Things that happened to them when they were young, 5, 10, 15 years old. Things that happened when they were just children. So many times things that happen to us that really rock our world are also are when we're young. When we're so impressionable, when we're so easy to be manipulated and deceived, when we're so prone to put confidence in people. And the very ones who should have protected us, nurtured us, are the very ones who dropped us. They may have done it out of ignorance, carelessness. Maybe they didn't mean to inflict the harm on you. They weren't aware of the damage their words were doing to you. They weren't aware of the pain their actions caused you. But they fell and they're falling. They dropped you and you fell. There are a lot of people today bruised or broken from falls in their life. Some hide it very well. It may not be an outward limp, but you can still see the pain in their lives. They still carry the scars of the things that happened to them 10, 20 years ago in so-and-so's church, in so-and-so's home, in that bad relationship, by that coach, by that teacher, by that stranger. You cover it over, put on your smile, and you pretend everything's all right, but it's still inside of you, you're lame on the inside. We have a lot of Mephibosheths, and the word Mephibosheth means the one who turns his face from away from the shame. But as much as he wanted to turn his face away from the shame, it was always with him, carrying that past and the pain of wondering, why me? You know, before the fall, he should have been next in line to be the king. But instead, because of the fall, he's hiding the place he doesn't belong called Lodabar. Everything was taken from him in one day. He went from being whole to being crippled in one day, from being a prince to being a pauper in one day. One day, everything taken, now bitterness and resentment and anger and fear had built a nest inside of him. That's the story of Mephibosheth, a boy known for his shame and not for his name. David asked the question. Ziva says, there's one. David asked the next question, where is he? I'm going to do something for him. Where is he? The problem with a lot of people in this body is they're out of place, and God came blessing. Here is Mephibosheth, not in the place God intended for him his life. Due to his circumstances, he's not where he belongs. He settled for less than what God had for him because allowing his circumstances to redirect his life. I believe there's a place God has ordained for each and every one of us. And too many of us are living beneath our privileges. A place that's not geographical, that measures you in miles or feet, but a place that's in the kingdom of God, a place of your divine destiny. I can't even describe to you how you'll know when you get there other than you just know that you know when you get there. You get in that place where things just click. You get in that flow, and you just know you're where God wants you to be. Now, until you get to that place, your life's going to be one of frustration. You're going to feel unfulfilled. It doesn't matter how successful you are. You can have all the money and the financial security and not feel fulfilled. Still don't feel like you really accomplished what God has for you in your life. See, David says, I want to bless him. I got something for him. But where is he? There are too many people separated from the blessings and the anointing of God because they're in the wrong place. In places and positions and relationships, God never called you to. And sometimes being in the wrong place, you sit and you wonder, where are the provisions? Where's the blessing? Where's the anointing? 
I've come to tell someone today, God has got you set up for provision. But it's when you're in the place and, it's, and you're not going to get it until you get there. When your life comes into order with the word of God and you align yourself with God's purpose for your life, when you get back into fellowship with the king as you're fixing the sea, because when you do, that stuff begins to flow to you. It was Elijah who was prophesying and preaching, doing the will of God. But there was a famine land that he himself had called, and he was about to starve to death. And he begins to pray, and God tells him, go to the brook Cherubeth, for I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. It's that word there that ought to get your attention today because it's very important. It's the fact that God was going to send the provision to a specific place, and for Elijah to receive his blessings, he had to go to there. The provision was for the man, but a, a specific time and place. Are you following me? If, uh, if Elijah would have gone anywhere else in the country to any other brook, he would have starved to death because provision wouldn't have been there. See, the ravens had GPS. They were going to deliver provision to a certain spot. And when Elijah got there, the provision was already there. And some are asking, where's the provision? The provision's already there waiting for you to get to that spot the place where God wants you. You got to be honest with yourself. If there's no provision, are you really where you need to be? Are you in a place where God can bless you? Don't worry about where it's going to come from. It's already there. Just go. But you got to get to the place that he's ordained. When Moses was in the wilderness and the people came and complained, we have no water, he took a stick, struck a, a rock, and water flowed out of it. I believe it was already there before they ever got there. There's even provision in your wilderness if that's where God's placed you. You're out of place for doing what you've determined to do instead of what God has called you to do. And so many say, I'm just going to sit right down here, and this is far enough, then wonder where is provision. And so many say, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not going to go no further. I don't know about you, but I want to be in my place. I want to find my place. My place is not your place, and your place is not my place. If you try to get in my place, you're going to hear me say, I'm sorry, but that seat's taken. I want my place because that's where my provision is. You see people are flowing and being blessed and wonder why? It's because they're in their place where God has called them, where provision is. And if you're trying to do something for God and you find it's constantly a dead-end street, you better be honest and ask yourself, is this really where God wants me? The way the enemy keeps us out of place, he keeps us occupied in another place. Our enemy's so subtle he does it in such a sleek way. You don't even recognize it. You don't even recognize his part in keeping you out of your place. He'll even let you think it's your ideal. Because of the nature of our being, we can't be in two places at, two, at one time. Can't be done. I've tried it, and I've tried it, and it don't work. So all the enemy needs to do is keep us out of our place is get us caught up in another place. You see, the blessing place for Mephibosheth was in the house of David. But Mephibosheth is where, though? He said in the house of Makar, which is in Lodabar. A lot of people who are out of place are because they become comfortable. The danger of being comfortable is that you spend all your time and energy on things and with people that never get you to your destiny. You're spending all your time with some joker, and he ain't even the one God has for you. God never wanted you to be treated like that. Get out of that place. You're working yourself to death at a job. They're never going to pay you more than minimum wage. Get out of that place. You should be running the company. You're still taking orders on the front line. Get out of that place. You should be singing on the praise team, and you're still only singing in the congregation. Get out of that place. 
See, people aren't as excited as you are about your destiny. They don't mind if you sit down by them and remain right where you're at. As a matter of fact, you want to try to leave them, they'll criticize you for wanting to do better. And you can spend your whole life in the Macar's house and never make it to the palace. I've come to help someone get out of Lodabar, out of Macar's house, and to your place of destiny. People who have spent their, most of their entire life into doing nothing, thinking about all the wasted time already you spent on things that never mattered. And then ask yourself, has it delayed your potential, your call, or your plans? Everybody that wants God has, what has God has got for them can get it. If I convince you to get to the right place and get out of the wrong place. Because circumstances and temptations and failures have led many astray. There are, many, there are times that things we're tempted by is not only the bad stuff. The enemy doesn't just always tempt with the bad stuff. Sometimes, instead of throwing bad stuff at you, he throws something seemingly good at you. The thing that separates great people from good people is great people know how to say no to good opportunities. You're going along in life, in the right place. God's blessing, anointing, and flowing. And our adversary comes along and dangles a carrot in front of your face, making us believe if we'll leave here, there's something even greater over there. <coughs> now watch this. Makar is really the one sabotaging Methibolus' destiny. But get this, Makar is not an enemy of Methibolus. In fact, in Methibolus' life, he's his best friend. How's that? He's the man, when Methibolus' was five years old, he opened his house to this boy, and he nursed him and raised him since he was a child. He watched after him. He protected him from his enemies. When they were after him, he found him a way. He made sure he would survive. He was a blessing to Methuselah. But I want you to know this. The very thing that blessed me yesterday can keep me from today's blessings. The very thing God used to get you to this level can keep him getting you to the next level if you allow it to. That's why sometimes we get so caught up in what God used to move us forward in. When God desires to do something else, we won't go. For some, it's always got to be done like it was always done. That old song used to bless me. So play it again and again and again. When God wants to put a new song in your heart, them old sermons sure got me to hear. You got to understand, God wants to take you to new places, and he uses new things, new levels, new songs, new sermons to get you from here to get you to there. Methuselah comes to the place he has to leave good people in order to receive what the king has for him. He has to leave the place he's become so comfortable with. It was good for a season. Seemed like the right place. But God has so much more for him. It's not hard to leave bad people. It, it's not hard to leave your enemy. What's hard is when people have been with you every step of the way. They love you. They want to walk with you. But they can't go where you're going. They can't go where God's called you. They've gone as far as they want to go with you. They're stationary, and they prefer you just stay there with them where they're at. And you either follow the will of God for your life, or you stay in the house of Makar. Methuselah had to make that decision. Stay here at Makar's. It's comfortable here. I'll survive being here. I'll get by. I got a lot of friends here. Or receive the king's invitation and go receive everything that God had for him. Some of you are in that place. Setting these chairs out of place in the house of Makar, complacent, living way beneath your privileges, not using your gifts and talents for the kingdom, barren, 
feeling unfulfilled. No, there's not, this is not where God called you. Where's the provisions? You got to decide today. Stay there, just get by, or receive the king's invitation today and get everything that God has planned for your life. Be blessed, flavored, favored, anointed. Be in the place of provision by being where God's called you. Until the call in your life gets greater for the, live, for the then and there than for the here and now, you will remain in Makar's house. Makar's place became a place of survival. Methuselah learned how to survive there. He truly knew his place, but because of his circumstances, he settled for less. And too many of us are living in the land of survival, and we're simply satisfied with it. Matter of fact, when you don't, no, matter of fact, when you didn't know whether you were going to survive, you just to survive seemed like success to you. Some people think just surviving is success. When you didn't know if the bill would get paid, living paycheck to paycheck, but you made it. When you've been there so long and you're still holding on, it begins to seem like success to you. Your philosophy is it's been rough, but we haven't went under yet. The creditors aren't calling. They haven't taken the car yet. That's good enough. Our marriage is on the brink, but we haven't hired a lawyer yet. We haven't signed papers. That's good enough. We're surviving. And that kind of reality over a period of time begins to look like success. That kind of survival begins to look pretty good to someone who wasn't sure whether they would make it or not. But all the while, God has got so much more for you than just getting by and just surviving. Calling you to so much more until that call of God in your heart whispers, there's more than this. Until that whisper comes a cry that tells you there's more than this. Until something inside of you tells you and gives you there's more blessing, there's another level. Until that call gets louder than anything else in your life, you're going to remain right where you are. A lot of people simply satisfied in the house of a car. But I also know there are some people in here today that God wants to speak to. You're unfulfilled, you're barren, and you know in your heart there's more. Today, God wants to bring you out of Lodabar, and he wants to convince you he's got more for you. You may, have not, you may have got distracted. You may have got off track for a moment, but begin to hear the word of the Lord that, that there is more, that there is a better life. Let this word well up inside of your heart where your heart says, I got to move. I don't know where to go or how to get there. I just know I can't stay here no more. It takes an act of faith to leave your comfort zone. If you could see it before you went, but the thing is you can't be in both places so when you can't see it, you have to walk to it by faith. That's why so many people aren't walking in their destiny, afraid of the unknown. But Thibodeau was afraid to go there, fearful of the unknown. Here's a word for you. You'll never go farther in God than the last place you're willing to leave. When you say, I just can't go there, that's when you stop growing and stop progressing. Until you get to a place, if I have to walk to places I've never walked before, if I have to go it alone, I'm going because the God inside me says I can't stay here any longer. I can't shut it down. I can't put it down. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. The danger of not living in Makar's house was also the fact that it was in the land of Lodabar. Lodabar is a compound Hebrew word. Lo means no, and Debar means word. So to live in Lodabar means to live in no word. It was a barren land. Lodabar was a land of no word. The danger is when you live in Lodabar, you've got to have faith to leave there, and faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. But when you live in a land of no word, your faith is never activated, and you never get a revelation. You never even get the thought to. There is a then and there. So you're only consumed with here and now. You never come to the realization there's a king that wants to bless you. You're not even aware of covenant. Just like King David sent his servant to Lodabar to tell Mephibosheth the king wants to bless him. 
And God has sent me to your Lodabar today to tell you there's a king that wants to bless you. And I come to you with the word of the Lord, the king of kings, and to your land of no word. And some of you haven't heard the word of God in so long. What do you mean? I sit here every Sunday in this same spot. How do I know you're not hearing? Because you're still in Lodabar. You're still barren. Because of the word of God was penetrating your heart, you wouldn't stay there. You'd get up and you'd get out of that grave. Until the reality of what the word says becomes more real to you than the reality of where you're present or at and existing just simply getting by. Until the revelation that God wants to bless you becomes greater than your circumstances or your shame and you receive his invitation. Until then, you're still living in Lodabar while a king sits anxiously wanting to bless you. Why does he want to bless you? Glad you ask. Because of covenant. A covenant is only powerful if you accept the covenant. And one can only accept the covenant if they know about it. Mephibosheth didn't know about the covenant the king had made with his father. And I've come to tell you God has a covenant for you and for you and for you and for you. There's too many believers who got saved but never learned of the covenant. You can only come to the knowledge of the covenant if someone tells you about it. Problem living in Lodabar, you never hear it. The word or the promises or the revelations. You never hear there's a covenant to which you are heir to. Unbelievers live in the land of no word, so therefore they have no clue about covenant. Never will unless we tell them. In Lodabar, you never hear. There's a blessing with your name on it, an anointing, a purpose, a destiny with your name on it. You'll never come to realization as long as you're living in Lodabar. But Thibosheth found this out to be so true. I know he hadn't heard, heard of it because when he comes before King David, he prostrates himself. He says, I'm just a dead dog. I shouldn't be here. In covenant language, a dog is someone who doesn't have a covenant. You can't get stuff to a non-covenant person. When Thibosheth says, I'm just a dog, he's speaking what he knows. He isn't just being humble. He's revealing that he has no revelation of the covenant by believing that he's nothing more than a dog. He had a covenant, but he didn't know it. You have a covenant, and some of you don't know it. A place for you. You're not even aware of a ministry, a blessing, an anointing, a position. You're not even aware because you're not aware of the covenant. That's why you got to have the word to know it. Hey, take everything away from me, but not the word. I may be sick in my body, but if I can get a word, I may be broke, busted, and disgusted, but if I can get a word, I may be at my lowest point, but if I can get a word, because a word will change your life. And Methuselah got a word that the king wanted to see him, and that word caused Methuselah to respond that day. How many of you know you got to respond to the word? Because the word of God will change your destiny. I've learned that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Because heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall never pass away. The word of God is going to be the key to you getting out of Lodabar, the place of no word. The word, the key to you walking to the next level, the key to you breaking the bondage of complacency. It's the prophetic word of God that looks into your situation and says, I know what it looks like, but this saith the Lord. It's a word that looks over a, a valley of dry bones and says, hear the word of the Lord. It's the word that looks out of, of a raging wind and storm and says, peace, be still. Some people really don't like the word. You like a good sermon, but you really don't love the word. You like a good worship service, but you really don't love the word. You got to get a grip on the word of God that's so strong that even if you try to put it down, you couldn't. If you try to shake it loose, you can't. Even if you try to walk away from it, it follows you. Come on, somebody. 
You need to look at someone today and say, after what I've heard, come on. I'm leaving Lodabar. I'm getting out of this place. I'm getting out of my situation. And tell them the Word of God is just about to set me free this morning. It's about to open doors that have been shut. It's about to break down the walls that have been built. I believe this church is on the brink of a major breakthrough, and we're fixing to walk in places we've never walked before. But to do so, we're going to have to start doing things like we've never done them before. Because when you're in a land of no word, you're going to stay there until a word comes. Well, I declare today, today your word has come. Hallelujah. A word comes to Mephibosheth's life, a word of promise and grace and covenant. Now hear me. Upon him responding to the king, David shows him five things. The high said of God, the covenant faithfulness of God. Verse 5, he says, King David sent for him and brought him out. How many knows God can find you no matter where you're at? First thing you need to know about God's grace is covenant. God always the one that takes the first step. He finds you. You don't find him. David sitting on a stone remembers his promise, his covenant that he's made. No one else remembers but the king. Don't forget it. Are you hearing me? You see, with covenant, even when you're dead, if God promised you things when you were alive and you didn't see them come to pass, they'll still come to pass. You may have prayed 20 years for your children, and God promised you he would save them. He will still do it even when you're gone because God is not a man who should lie. I'm telling you, God is a God of covenant. Verse 6, Mephibosheth comes before the king with his head bowed down. Here's a second revelation of covenant. For some of us, at times, God's going to have to bend some rules to bless us. You see, the rules for the day, the palace protocol was, no one with any physical disability could come before the king. If you had anything wrong with your body, you weren't allowed to come into his presence. Don't forget, Mephibosheth's feet are crippled. He looked so bad, David hardly recognized him. So the fact that the king brings him into his presence was against the rules. But David is the king. And when you're the king, you can bend the rules. Some of us think we got everything we got because we deserve it. But then there's some like me who realize if God hadn't been a few rules, I wouldn't be here or I wouldn't have nothing. Some of us realize we really weren't qualified for the job, but somehow my application just found its way to the top. And some of us realize it hadn't been strictly about us and by our own merit, we wouldn't be where we are now. But God being a few rules because he's king. When God sets out to bless you, no one can stop it. Now, a lot of people might not like it because it's you instead of them, but they can't stop it. So some of you think you can't never ever be nothing in your own merit, maybe you can't, but with God on your side, all things are possible. If he has to bend the rules, he can. If he has to break the rules, he can. He made them. He's God. Now, some of you ought to be about be ready to jump up and shout in this place. Because verse 7, the third verse coming, David said, Don't fear, I'll show you kindness, Jonathan, for your father's sake. The third verse is this. For what God is about to do in your life, it isn't for you. But Simpson says, listening but still don't quite know why he is there. The king's about to bless him beyond his wildest imagination, before he but before he does, he says, I want to make one thing very clear. Before I do, there's one thing I want you to clearly understand. Hear me right here, church. He said, this is not about you. You don't deserve this. Now, that goes against the grain of a lot of self-made people. But Simpson came before David and said, I'm a dead dog. Notice David doesn't denounce that statement. 
David doesn't like things like, oh, you're not that bad. In fact, when David sees him, he asks Mephibosheth, is that you? I heard you messed up and stuff, but gee, son. Mephibosheth says, I'm a dead dog. And David just takes his head as to say, I know. But it's not about you and what you are. And that's good news for a lot of us. Because when I came to King, I can tell you I was pretty doggish. But the thing is, it's not about me or you. He's saying, what I'm about to do for you, it doesn't, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm about to do it for the sake of your father. Someone needs to realize this morning, everything you got and everything you are is because of Jesus Christ. Whew. Because God said, because I made a covenant with Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago when I said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the reason I get what I get to become who I am is for the sake of my Father. I wish I had a few people in here who are grateful this morning. It's not about you. Come on, somebody. Those that can really praise him are those who know they got something that they didn't deserve. If that's you, stand to your feet and give God praise this morning. Come on, somebody. You didn't deserve it, but you got it. You got grace and you got mercy instead of justice and judgment. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we're getting somewhere now. The next birth, the fourth revelation of the covenant. I will return to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. I'm giving it all to you, Mephibosheth. I'm going to give you everything he had. Some of you only have some of what you should have, and you're happy with it. But God wants to give you all of it. Did you know that in the Hebrew, all means all? In the Greek, all means all? That in every language, all means all. God's not in partial restoration. He's not going to fix part of your life and leave part of it in shambles. Here's the thing. What the king was about to do normally only happened in the year of Jubilee. But it's not the year for it, according to the calendar. But he's the king. And Jubilee is when the king says so. He says, I know it's not time and everything's not right, but today is a day of restoration. I'm going to give it all back today. And the fifth revelation covenant, and you shall eat bread at my table always. The final but greatest blessing of this covenant for you and me is fellowship with the king. He can give it all back, but if fellowship isn't restored, then all really isn't all. You see, Mephibosheth was born in a palace. For the palace was his place. But due to the circumstances of his life, that one fall in his life led him out of the palace, messed him up, separated him from his destiny for years. And the same thing has happened for many. They're not in their place. You have allowed one fall one circumstance in your life to rob you of years' blessings. This isn't all God had in mind for you. This isn't what you were born for. This wasn't your purpose. But I've got good news. God hasn't forgot you. He hasn't forgot your, his purpose for you. He's just waiting for you to get in the right place where he can bless you. There had to be days and nights where Mephibosheth sat in Lodabar thinking his best days were behind him. I know I'm talking to somebody now. As a child, he lived in a palace. Maybe he could remember how it used to be. Born to a prince, but now a pauper. 
had everything but down, down to nothing? The reality of our covenant, folks, is the best days are yet to come. And if you're only focusing on the here and now and not on the then and there, the eternal, then you're not truly going to understand this word today. No matter what you are or what you're going through, no matter how you've been dropped, no matter how bad the fall, no matter how bad you've been crushed, whether it was intentionally or accidentally, no matter how you are scarred or shamed, your best is yet to come because of God's covenant. I'm glad the king didn't wait for Mephibosheth to get his problems fixed before he invited him to his table. Come as you are was the invite. And that's what he's saying today, church. Don't try to fix it before you come. Truth is, you'll never fix it. But if you'll come, the king will help you fix it. Ha. Huh. And some of you, before you heard this word, weren't aware of the covenant between you and God as a believer. And that you're entitled to it. How? By responding to the word. This invitation. How? By accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. David said, I'm going to show you how God does covenant. God says, I know you got an issue. I know it's ugly. I know it's bad. I know your shame. I know your past. But come as you are. Because I want to bless you. There's a place at my table for you. Come just like you are, with all your problems and all your issues. If you'll just come, there's a place for you. If my musicians would go ahead and come. Would you go ahead and stand with me? I want you to hear this right here. I can't imagine what it must have been like when Mephibosheth came into the presence of the king for the first time. After he received the invitation, you know, dinner was a great ordeal in the palace. The king would make a great spread with all the delights of the king, food everywhere. And when it was time to eat, the king would come in first, and he'd always sit at the head of the table. Then followed the wives and the sons and the daughters of David, they would find their rightful place next to him at the table. You know, there would be Nathan there, and Absalom would be there. The wise and great Solomon would be sitting there, and there would sit beautiful Tamar. Everyone properly seated and ready at the king's table. But this day, they had been instructed to wait. And wait. To the point the kids kept asking, please. Can we eat yet, Dad? And the king would say, no, not yet. There's one more coming. And from a distance, they could hear the sound on the floor. Clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop. Then they heard the door handle turn, and the door opened. And there stood Mephibosheth, a broken and crippled man with years of sorrow on his face. I imagine maybe some may have been looking down on him, like, what's he doing here? He doesn't belong here. He isn't beautiful or noble. He's ugly, wretched, and poor. But clip-clop, clip-clop. But think of himself, drags his chain the whole way with those crippled feet, clip-clop. 
clip clop, clip clop. He must have been thinking, say what you want about me, but I got here the same way you did. Clip clop, clip clop, clip clop. The king invited me, so clip clop, clip clop. Hey, don't criticize, criticize me because I had to drag myself into the presence of the king. Some of us had to walk through the pain of divorce, through physical abuse, through sexual abuse, through drug abuse. We were, made by, we were made lame by our shame. But we're here today because of covenant. Because the king said, I always have a place at his table. I may not walk like you. I may not sing like you. I may not pray like you. I may not praise like you. I may not look like you. I may not dress like you. But don't judge me until you know where I've come from. I love it. Clip clop. Clip clop. Clip clop. He makes his way to his seat at the table that the king promised him. And he sets down his seat with his lame legs, placing them under the table. And the tablecloth comes down and covers his shame at the king's table. Are you hearing me? Sitting there with his shame cover now, and he looks just like everybody else. He looks like all the other sons. You couldn't tell the difference between Absalom, Solomon, and Mephibosheth. Why? Because all the shame was covered. That's what the God of covenant does. God wants to cover your shame. He has a place for you at his table. Why would you live in Lodabar any longer? Why live in an unfulfilled place? The king wants you to come into his presence. The king is calling you. He wants all the Bethlehem this morning to bring your brokenness and your shame. To get here if you have to crawl. If somebody's got to carry you, come as you are. Broken, abused, hurt, wounded, rejected, barren. Come and take your place at the table. You're sitting in the wrong place. Your blessing is here. Hear me this morning. Receive the king's invitation. Maybe you're out of place. You've got to get back in the right place to receive the invitation. Circumstances have led you astray. You settled for less. But today you've heard the word of the Lord. Receive the invitation. You're lacking provision. The king wants to bless you. Receive the invitation. The king is giving you the invitation. You've got to respond to the invitation day. If you're here today, and you're hurt, you're broken, you're wounded, you feel rejected, you need provision, you need healing, you need something, put it the best, whatever you have need of, God has at his table for you this morning. And he's given every single one of you the invitation this morning. Every single one of you can come to the master's table. There is a seat that's been prepared for you this morning, for you to come into the presence of the king. There's a covenant waiting for you. You don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, but it's not about you and who you are. It's about who your heavenly father is. I'm talking to a lot of people this morning. The king is calling you to his table. He wants to bless you. He wants to restore you. He wants you to eat at his table. Will you come? The king is calling. Would you begin to step out all over this place? come to the table this morning. The king is calling you. The king is calling you. You have a covenant with God. There's more to your life than what you have. There's more that you can have from God. 
because of his covenant. Come, church. Come. Come in the presence of the king this morning. Come to the table and let God feed you. There's more. There's more. There's more. The devil is a liar. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done this morning, it doesn't matter to the king. He says, come. I've got a covenant I'll make with you. That's why no weapon formed against you will prosper because of the covenant. That's why greater is he that's in you than he is in the world because of his covenant. That's why you can get past and get over and get through the things you've been through because of his covenant, God's love. Would you guys begin to begin to play and sing?